Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Thursday, July 14th edition of the Basement Academy. I'm going to acknowledge something right now that I've got the uh, British Open Golf Tournament right over there on the television because I'm going to be talking about the LIV Golf Tour today. And so the British Open's been on since 1.30 this morning, and I started watching it at about 4.30. So it's one of the great days. Uh, this weekend's always a, a, a fun fun weekend for golfers. Hey, let's begin with a morning psalm, though. Let, let's, uh, let's start there, and then we'll move to golf. <clears throat> psalm 134. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. Psalm 134 is a great uh, prayer, a great psalm to pray for ministers, for pastors, for others who, the church staff, for missionaries, those who serve in the house of the Lord. And so we invite your, welcome your prayers and thank you for your prayers for myself and others on staff. Okay, let's, on this golfing day, let's talk about the LIV Golf Tour. First of all, let's talk about the name. LIV is Roman numerals for 54. L is 50, IV is 4. 54, as in the number you would shoot if you birdied every hole. Typically, it's par 72 for 18 holes. So if you birdied every hole, you'd hit a 54, which is unheard of. If you hit 59, that's rare, right? But it's also they play 54 holes in this new golf tour. The LIV Golf Tour is a new startup golf tour backed by the Saudis, in particular their public investment fund, and it is causing all kinds of controversy because of the atrocious track record of, on human rights by the Saudis. Um, I forget how many years ago, two, three years ago, the, the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, um, the journalist. It's been traced back to uh, uh, one of the, 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 the crown prince of, of Saudi Arabia. And so... What the Saudis are doing is something that's called sports washing, that they're being accused of this, trying to use money and sports here to buy themselves back into good favor. It's fairly common, actually. Uh, many other nations have done that. Um, they may not have the best record on uh, human rights or some other atrocity, but they know people love sports, and so they will put forward some kind of sports franchise or use money to ingratiate themselves back into good favor. And so the controversy is that this new uh, startup tour, they're only going to have like eight events this year. They've played two already, but they're luring top golfers from the American tour, the PGA tour, over to play, but they're not actually playing over in Saudi Arabia. They played one in London. Uh, they played in Oregon um, a couple weeks ago. Um, there, there was, I think the final uh, tournament may be over in Saudi Arabia. But the concern is that they're drawing these top stars away from the American tour, but the PGA tour has to release any, any if you play in a non-PGA event, you have to get a release and the PGA Tour said, we're not going to do it. We are not going to release you 
So now many of these folks have been banned from the PGA Tour. Many beloved players, Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, others uh, who've gone over, uh, Brooks Kepka, these top golfers, uh, they've gone on over. And, and so there's all this controversy swirling about professional golf. It's probably been you know, bubbling around for the last you know, two or three months. Um, what they're doing, uh, how, the, how they're getting these uh, uh, golfing uh, stars to come on over to this tour, and they're risking their reputation a little bit because they're getting associated with this new tour and the Saudis and their blah, 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 you know, their, their uh, human rights record. Well, they're giving them these signing bonuses. And so just heard the other day, Dustin Johnson, who, had, who has $75 million of career earnings from the Professional uh, Golf Association Tour. Not a bad career, right? $75 million uh, for playing golf over the last you know, 12 to 15 years or so. They paid him $150 million to come play on the tour. That's before he's even played an event. Just 150 to leave the, the PGA Tour and come. So in the stroke of a pen, <laughs> they give him a check for $150 million, doubled his career earnings before he's even swung the club once. The tour itself is paying greater prize money. So a typical PGA event will have, you know, seven to ten million dollars of prize money that the winner gets like a million two to a million four and the money is distributed down to the players who make the cut because in any pga tour you play thursday and friday the field of 150 plays the first two days the bottom half of the the field after two days get cut and they don't get paid they had to pay to travel there to you know their lodging and food and then they don't get paid for the weekend because they didn't play well enough. In the new LIV tour, everybody who plays gets paid. Nobody, nobody gets cut. There's no cut. You only play 54 holes and there's a shotgun start. So the, the whole event's over in about, you know, four to five hours, kind of like a little charity event that you, you know, some of you know what that's like. You know, all the players are distributed around the, the, the holes. And you might start on hole number 16 and everybody starts at the same moment and you just kind of, you know, play your 18 holes and the, the thing's over. So it's shorter per day. You only, you know, go out there for four or five hours. There's only three rounds you have to play. You're going to get guaranteed money and the prize money is like $25 million for the tournament. So the winner gets like $4 million. Everybody gets paid and they have a team event as well. So it's crazy. They're just throwing money at this thing. Well, when you start throwing money at something, you're going to get interest, right? We're seeing this in college sports. Um, that there's all kinds of conference realignments that are going now. Uh, uh, USC and UCLA are, you know, they're they're on the West Coast, but they're going to the Big Ten with you know Michigan and Ohio State and Michigan State. It's like what? You know, they're not. There's no natural alignment in the conferences for that, but the money is too good. Uh, college players are now getting paid through a name, image, and likeness deal. Uh, some, some college students sued the NCAA a number of years ago saying, hey, we're putting the, the show on the field and yet you're the school is getting paid. What's going on here? Pay us, show us the money. And the courts sided with the uh, student athletes. 
And so now what uh, student athletes are eligible to sign a NIL, name, image, and likeness deal. So if the name of the student is used, the image of the student is used like a photo or even a likeness. So just like a silhouetted, um, you know, image of the student, you know, that goes in the program that the school puts together to hand out, you know, at the games or for boosters or for season ticket sales, the like. So if their name, image, and likeness is used, they should get paid. Well, there's no standardized thing. So an athlete, a student athlete can negotiate a name, image, likeness deal with the school. So now boosters contribute to these NIL funds, and that is used to help recruit students to the schools. Sounds a little flaky, doesn't it? I mean, you know, great for the kids, you know. I played at UVA. <laughs> My picture showed up in the brochure. I didn't get paid. I earned a quarter scholarship by last year. I, I was a walk-on at UVA, played all four years, lettered for four years, and got, you know, $2,500 or whatever it was my, my senior year. I, I earned a quarter scholarship. Uh, and I'm very proud of, of all of that. Um, so, so money, you, when you throw money at things, things happen because the reality is money is a nearly irresistible force. It is a nearly irresistible force. It, it can be resisted. <laughs> you know, people do resist bribes and, and other ways that money uh, tries to influence, but it influences politics. It influences government. It influences corporations. It influences schools. It influences churches, right? Uh, you know, people, you know, I was having a conversation recently. I'm going to be on a panel uh, discussion in the fall and about some, it's, a, it's um, somebody, the, the uh, Presbyterian Foundation, a colleague of mine works for the Presbyterian Foundation, which is kind of a fundraising arm, um, the development arm, uh, philanthropy arm, as it were, of the um, Presbyterian Church. And talking about how, Part of the panel is going to be how do we cultivate generosity in polarized times and how polarization often tumbles into our churches, how people will threaten the pastor if you don't preach this message or if you do preach that kind of message, I will withhold my tithe and how you know money is, is being used sometimes to influence churches. Hallelujah, never at, at Greenwich. Um, and so, <clears throat> you know, the reality of, of money, you know, Jesus warned, you can't serve God and money. That money is nearly irresistible. It has a power to it. It has an attraction to it. When money comes calling, it is hard to resist. I mean, you know, we talk about irresistible grace. When God begins to call a person, his grace, his call is irresistible. That's the, the, the Presbyterian Reformed understanding that when God calls our hearts, we will <laughs> come and, and say yes. And money has a nearly irresistible force to it uh, as well. Um, and so uh, the Proverbs talk about, you know, how the rich have many friends, but, but you know, the poor man has no one around him at all. Uh, money or wealth provides a secure fortress for the rich. It's just a reality, right? And there's so much going on in our world right now that is wrapped around money and you know, systemic poverty. There are some people who could never escape uh, the cycle of poverty because of skin color, because of other factors. 
And so those are some of the issues of social justice that, that bubble around our, our world right now. And so the Saudis engaging in sports washing and, you know, incentivizing these players. I'm telling you, you know, <laughs> I, I get... I'm well compensated, gratefully so at, at Greenwich. I, I'm thankful for that. But if another church came and you know would say, "Hey, we'll we'll double your salary. You come preach for us," I, I'd like to think I would say no because I fully intend to finish out the, the the ministry career at Greenwich. But I'm just honest enough to know that if somebody threw that much money at me, so I, I don't blame these golfers. And of course, the challenge is is this dirty money. You know, but Uber's taken some of that money and Starbucks has taken some of that money. And we know money is influencing everything, you know, politics, you know, dark money. You know, we, we talk about all that. And so um, let me read First Timothy chapter six, uh, verses six through 10. This is that passage about the love of money. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. It's not money is the root of evil. It's the love of money is a root of many kinds or all kinds of evil. People who want to get rich fall into temptation in a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires. We know that. And so, you know, with our children, we watch them, you know, we're teaching them to handle money well is so important. How we handle money uh, is so very important. And so, Part of what we're watching here is just the love of money. You know, the Saudis have all that money, they all the money in the universe, right? Because of their oil, right? And so they can just dangle big sums of money in front of these players. So they have ulterior motives and the money is, is, is the means to the end of rehabilitating their view uh, in the world. Successfully or not, you know, the, 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 the jury's out on that. Um, so lest we be critical of the, um, you know, the golfers, lest we be critical of politicians, you know, for how they're influenced by money. Let me just, let me just bring it home to Greenwich in a way that just as I offer this with some sensitivity, but we've been talking for a number of months, uh, you know, like a year plus uh, at the leadership level about potential denominational realignment. And we begun that conversation in earnest with the congregation and, you know, questioning whether we're aligned anymore with the Presbyterian Church USA, just its theology, its values and practices and initiatives and priorities seem to be going in one direction. And it seems like Greenwich, you know, is going in a different direction. So it's an honest you know, struggle. But what I will tell you is that nearly every conversation we've had as a leadership, many conversations for sure, and nearly every conversation, and many of the conversations that have been held with the congregation 
always boil down to one question. How much money might it take for us to realign? Are they, the presbytery, going to charge us money to realign? We've said very openly that that's quite possible. Uh, in other churches that have realigned, there has been a financial consideration because of the trust clause of the Presbyterian Church. But Greenwich filed for the property exemption to say we want to maintain ownership and control of our congregate of our church property back when the denomination formed back in the early 1980s. And so in the minds of many at Greenwich, we own our property, they don't, we don't owe them a thing. And so, but I'm just telling you, nearly every conversation that we've had, all that question is always in view and sometimes it is right in the center. How much? And then once that question comes up, the whole discussion changes. No longer we're talking about theology. No longer we're talking about priorities. No longer we're talking about discipleship. No longer we're talking about what matters most, that this is a matter of conscience and we must do this. It comes down to money. And then all of a sudden, I think our own love of money gets exposed. Because if we didn't love money, then... We would, we would freely give it away, right? We don't, because we love money, we hold on to it, right? Money, we hold our money, but really our money holds us. And so part of the biblical command to tithe is to break the chains of money that it has on us. It can enslave us. And so God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse and see if I won't open <laughs> the storehouses of heaven. Just, I will open up, I will rain blessing upon you. Just bring that tithe into the storehouse. Malachi chapter three. But we just don't know. Come test me in this, he says to Malachi, through Malachi. Come test me. See if I won't just pour it out. Now, some of us do tithe. We've got trying to, be braggy, but I'm just acknowledged before you, we're a tithing family, have been since my college days when I heard the call to it. I just have tried to practice, not every day of every month of every year, but, but that has been the pattern of our lives. And we just do it and joyfully, gladly. I wish I could give more. Um, probably can give more, right? But not everybody does. And so what ends up happening when we talk about money and we talk about denominational realignment or we, and, you know, we always talk about stewardship. We want to be good stewards. Well, if we were good stewards, we would tithe. And we did some soft analysis uh, back in our building, the early years of our building project back in the, you know, 2008-9 timeframe as we were kind of getting it in sights. And we did some soft analysis and took the number of households at Greenwich and the, um, median income of Prince William and Fauquier counties. We know, you know, people are on all, all sides of that, but it was a soft analysis. The number of households, median income of the surrounding counties where we live. And it, it, I forget exactly what the number was, but it was something like, and back then we had a, a, a budget of maybe, you know, 750, 800,000, something like that. Now we're at about 1.3. I think we realized that if, if we all tithe based on those kind of soft numbers of households and median income, 
our budget would be somewhere about $2 million annual budget. We would not have to have a building uh, campaign because the question was, well, you know, going to the people for a building campaign to ask them to give extra money, you know, so that we can build our building. And our analysis said, if we all just tithed, we wouldn't have to have a building campaign because the money we would need would be in, res we would have reserves because we were, we were doing all of our ministry on $750,000, you know, for staff salaries and missionaries and the, you know, utilities, et cetera, and curriculum. So if we, if we had two and a half million dollars every year, and if we kept tithing and as our income goes up, then our giving would go up, we wouldn't have to have special campaigns. So if we want to talk about st good stewardship, it's not about keeping money away from Presbytery. It's like getting money out of our pockets into the church right now. Now, I'm saying all of this not because, you know, I'm grumpy or angry or Greenwich is not doing well. We are doing well. But the truth of the matter is, just like they love money, we love money too. And we love holding on to it. And we like, you know, our vacations and our cars and our houses and our clothes. I like all that, right? You know, we're going to go to the beach here, you know, soon. And so it's, let's acknowledge that we're all in the game. It's kind of like, we're all kind of stupid, right? It's just what form of stupidity do we engage in using Bonhoeffer's language? We love money too. And so I've been so fascinated in this realignment conversation that, you know, there are conscientious issues and we get you know, fired up about how dare they, you know, say this and say that, and they want us to teach this and teach that. How dare they? You know, those are the reasons for realignment. But at the end of the day, we might have to sacrifice, right? There might be some money that, you know, for various reasons that have to be transacted. And so how can we get on the proper side of that and not see that as a begrudging thing? How can we freely, joyfully give? Jesus said, freely you have received freely give how can we joyfully then turn the tables on this whole thing you know how can we joyfully bring to the church our tithe how can we joyfully say we would gladly bless the presbytery in its mission and ministry as we part this up you know to move in this other uh, other direction not because we hate presbytery but because we we don't want to be in conflict right so uh, interesting how you know, thinking about the elevator, it's really just a controversy about money. <laughs> and realize, oh, well, that's, that's all our lives. E every fight that happens in politics, every fight that happens in industry, every fight that happens at school board, you know, money's usually in play. I, I realize there are other issues too. But anyway, um, those are just some of my thoughts. So, um, so we're wrapping up. Uh, so tomorrow... Uh, what I'm going to do is just very briefly read a psalm, and I'm going to talk a little bit about my uh, study leave, uh, kind of my interest to do a, a, a study guide around discipleship. Uh, and then uh, starting next week, uh, we'll just start Basement Academy on replay, but I'll, I'll tell you more about that tomorrow, okay? Let, let's close with prayer. Father, thank you uh, for your love, your grace, faithfulness, your provision, <laughs> and forgive us for our love of money. And forgive us for where we wander from the truth because of our love of money. And so as we watch, you know, golf and we watch controversies out in that world, we recognize that the love of money uh, is the root of so many evils in our world and in our own lives. And so cultivate in us a greater generosity, a, a greater faithfulness, 
and a greater faith that, that we could release wealth unto the church and unto charity and unto missions and we would not suffer, but we would actually grow. And so, Father, guide us, shape us. Um, thank you for forgiving us uh, and, and pray uh, that as we uh, continue this journey uh, as a Greenwich family and as we continue journey in our own families, that we might continue to give you glad thanks for the provision of our lives. Cultivate in us that godliness and that contentment. As we pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his great provision and give you a joyful, generous heart this day and forevermore. Amen.